speak might not make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast i am one of your hosts brandon and i am here with my co-host first he is bob Iger's emotional support ewok it's what <laughs> it's i suppose that's for me that one's for you that one's i've for never you. been referred to as an emotional support really anything but that's okay hey it, and it's true and i feel much better this week you sound better I, I, you I really do. Better. You sound much more Drew-like. <laughs> and that I, other I, voice is our uh, third co-host, our newest co-host. He is the man who watches over Boba Fett in the Back to Tank. Ladies and gentlemen. It's adorable. Devor. Good to be back. Tonight, guys, we are going to be discussing which Disney Star Wars year is the best. This has been 10 years, one decade of Disney, uh, from Disney purchasing Lucasfilm. So... As we head into the second decade, we're going to take a look back and see exactly where it peaked and why. And it's going to be a fun conversation because we all had a different approaches on how we were going to uh, make said decision. But before we get into that, it is almost Christmas, which usually means it is time for our Clashing Sabers uh, book fundraiser. This year, though, this event is going to be called The Book Batch, and it's actually going to take place next year uh, around the release of the second season of The Bad Batch. So we're pushing it to the beginning of 2023 um, to finish giving people time to get prizes uh, together and everything. Um, a lot of the people that we work with are on major deadlines right now and so we decided to uh not add more pressure on there and uh just Mm -hmm. wait till the beginning of 2023 to to do that but if you know a teacher and you want to send them a great christmas gift uh you can nominate them uh to to receive a box from us i've got books in the closet ready to go that i can get out and they can have uh to give to their students by the time they get back to to school here so uh that's all on the housekeeping side of things, but speaking of the holidays, gentlemen, I wanted to put a little bit of a twist on our What Are You Star Warsing segment and mm-hmm. ask you guys here, what are you Star Warsing for Christmas? And this could be Star Wars traditions that you have around the holidays, something that you're hoping to get this year, uh, anything to do with Star Wars and, and the holiday season. So, Devor. I'm going to throw it to you and let you start off on this one. What are you Star Warsing this holiday season? All right. What am I Star Warsing this holiday season? Well, I know that I am I giving some Star Wars gifts. I know that for sure because mm-hmm. I have some picked out for my wife. So I know those are under the tree. And I'm assuming that I will be getting some too, though I do not know what or in what quantity. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. Drew, you know how, you, you just realize how DeVore just like hacked a marriage right there. Like just marry a Star Wars girl and give her Star Wars gifts and get I, Star Wars gifts in return. I was really concerned he was going to start giving away the game and he's going to be like, oh, well, I got her XYZ things. I'm like, dude, 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 dude. <laughs> On the offbeat chance that she listens to the first five minutes and then turns this off, at least give us some time. So build yourself some security there. Spoiler alert. All right, DeVore, sorry, yeah, continue. Spoilers. Yeah, so... There will be some Star Wars gift giving. And then also my plan is uh, over the 
over the holidays because I have that last week, that kind of like nether period between Christmas and New Year's off. I'm thinking back, I'm thinking about circling back to one of my favorite, I guess, Star Wars gifts of the year that we've gotten, uh, and that is Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. Oh, nice. Which I played quite a bit in the middle of the year. But there's the, uh, what, what was it called? The, the Galaxy Edition? I don't remember the version that came out in November that had some of the additional DLCs, including the one that I'm most excited about, the Rebels DLC. So, yeah, I'd like to get back into that and, you know, download that and get some of those new characters. So, hmm. Any word on uh, when they're going to be releasing that for Game Boy? <laughs> Jeez. 1998. Exactly. Ah, perfect. Coming up soon. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I I realized that I have a whole week off before Christmas, uh, which is not something that usually happens. Christmas falling on the weekend makes it uh, kind of interesting in that way because usually I have a little bit of time off before Christmas and a little bit after, but I have a whole week now. So I started today. I'm doing a chronological rewatch of all the Star Wars movies. Watch Phantom Menace today. Oh, wow. It still right. slaps. It's great. Um, I love it. And uh, it, was a, it was a great way to start off my holiday season. So, Drew, what about you? Uh, well, I cannot speak uh, too many things too out loud because there may be little ears listening, so I don't want to give away the game too much. But there will definitely be things from a galaxy far, far away, uh, very close to home. So um, I'm hopefully – my plan is to try and read Convergence between here and January 1 don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, I did just finish Path of Deceit, so I'm beginning phase two of the High Republic. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Devor, have you read Path of Deceit? I have not yet. I am, okay. I am behind on the High Republic yet again. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of phase one. Yeah. I caught up, and now phase two has started, and I am behind again. I mean, phase two is barely started, and I feel like I'm still behind because looking at, uh, you know, 2022 to consider, you know, as one of the years that we're looking at, uh, I was like, I haven't read this. I haven't read this. I can't judge it because <laughs> I, I haven't gotten to it yet. Did you guys see there was a, a, a Chinese web novel release as part of phase one? Oh, yeah. I didn't. Th- yeah, I remember hearing about that. Brandon, do you know what I'm talking about? You, it then? vaguely rings a bell. I gotta, I, I gotta find it now. It's, it's like Dawn of the Heavens, something, something. I gotta find it now because I was kind of reading up on it again in preparation for later on, and it's like, what is this thing? It's just a web series that they released in Chinese language, and I don't even know if they translated it into English or not. But it was part of Phase One, and I was like, all right, I've never heard of this, but here we go. There's a lot of like little stories that have happened, like little yeah, in Star Wars Insider ones. I know they're like releasing them in in uh, hardback now and stuff like that. But yeah, there's the Starlight stories, which just yeah. came out not too long ago. Which I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's, that's one of those. If it's not here on the 25th, then it'll be on my Amazon order list on the 26th. That's fair. Yeah, it. it there's a lot to keep up with with the High Republic, and it's kind yeah. of. It's one of those things, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I'm just not really super concerned with keeping up about all of it because, like, I, I, I want to get into the comics. I really do. I just can't sit and read them for very it's long. Hard. Uh, it's just not it's, – it's never been a preferred format for me. Even when I was a kid, I, I wasn't really into reading, like, graphic novels and stuff like a lot of kids are. Um, 
and I'm not subscribing to Star Wars Insider to just to read those those one-off stories and stuff. So I think if if time frees up, I might grab Starlight stories or whatever. But right now, for High Republic, I'm just focusing on the major releases, the mm-hmm. the three that come out at a time. You you know you have the adult novel, the YA novel, and the uh, the young reader uh, book that comes out. So I think that's. That's giving me what I want out of the High Republic, and, and I'm okay with missing some of those other side stories. But it is cool yeah. if you're a completionist, like how many things there are out there and different variants and stuff to chase. Yeah, there's and there's, like you said, so many different entries. I, I, this was probably the first series that I started reading the comics on the regular, but I had to wait until they came out in like the trade paperback version. So you feel like you're months behind, and then you can you get through the whole book in like an hour. So it's it's very hard. I can't imagine being the kind of person who keeps up with comics on a weekly basis as they come out, especially like we were talking about, looking at all the different series that have come out and how frequently a new issue comes out. I couldn't do it. Like, there's just simply no way to manage that much information. Yeah, because, I mean, you've got, what, four or five different runs going on at the same time. Yeah, you know. there's a lot of like smaller arcs. There's a lot of one-off issues. It's very, very complicated. Well, you I have a much more complicated spreadsheet than I'm willing to do for something like that. My biggest issue with comics is just how, I guess, how difficult they make it to get everything and, and keep everything in order. Like you have, like if you go on Amazon and you're trying to find, you know, the Darth Vader comics, if you don't have the, ex- if you just put Darth Vader comics, it's like a crapshoot, mm-hmm. which ones yeah. are going to come up or whatever, mm-hmm. or High exactly. Republic or whatever. And I feel like there's got to be a better way to, to compile all of these and keep them together in a f- way that people can manage other than having to buy every issue the week it comes out before you just get lost in oh well the cover on this one is different than the cover on that one this says <laughs> star wars number one this says star wars number oh, one man. it's like if you don't know exactly who the author was and when it was released and stuff and that's just honestly it's just too much work it's too much it's work so. yeah there, there really is i mean maybe i, I think this this applies in degrees and which is to say that there i think there are certain runs i think to which this is a greater um phenomenon than others but like it really does feel like that the comics have this kind of sprawling quality mm-hmm. like every so often like you will just see like you get on twitter or whatever and then somebody between my comics you see something and it's like it almost feels like mad libs it's like darth vader and kitster are running into palpatine and like what what's happening like, yeah, the, you very know, often there's like there was a panel going around a couple of days ago. It must have been some kind of a, a force vision where Kira is throwing the Emperor down to the ground, and then she takes up the Vader mask or something. I was like, "This no, I'm sorry, but you've lost me already, guys. This is too complicated." So I like the High Republic series. At least you've got the High Republic. You have the High Republic adventures, so you can clearly delineate the two lines that are going on. But man. I, I, to, to the people who keep up with that, I applaud thee and keep it up, keep up the good work and let us know how it's going because you're on your own. Well, and it's it's kind of annoying in a sense because some of the stuff that has come out is so insanely good, like the uh, Charles Soule Darth Vader stuff, insanely good. Um, the Crimson Dawn, uh, the first run that came out, uh, I think maybe it was called War of the Bounty Hunters or whatever, where where Kira steals Han and everything like that. Actually, really insanely good. But 
it just it it's overload to try to keep up with everything and yeah. uh i i have enough trouble just keeping up with the with the books i it, again this is one of those things where it's like it's a good problem to have yeah because you know you're constantly getting good star wars stuff and i like that uh people can pick and choose you know what they want and stuff like that i think you know we talk a lot about the canon and everything like that i honestly think looking back on you know the 10 years of disney that we've had so far that they've done a pretty good job of managing the canon where if you don't read the comics but you read the books or you you know you don't read the books but you watch the tv shows or whatever you can still keep up with what's going on um i think there's maybe a few instances where you might have to do a wikipedia search just to (laughs) you know refresh exactly how those two characters go together or whatever it may be but I would say like 90, 95% of the time, it, you can kind of pick and choose what you want and still be able to keep up with the larger story that's going on. Yep. Fair point. So speaking of that, you guys ready to do this? You ready to get in and decide what the best year of Disney Star Wars is? Boy, I hope you guys like oh, picking yeah. nits because wow. <laughs> oh, there, there are going to be lots of nits to be picked. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to reveal to you the greatest year of Star Wars in the last decade. Today, I am proud to announce the Walt Disney Company is acquiring Lucasfilm, the global entertainment company founded by George Lucas and the home of the legendary Star Wars franchise. In addition to getting the rights to one of the greatest family franchises and epic stories of all time, Disney is also acquiring all of Lucasfilm's operating businesses, including Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound. George Lucas is a true visionary and an innovative epic storyteller who has defined modern filmmaking with unforgettable characters and amazing stories. The Star Wars universe now has more than 17,000 characters inhabiting several thousand planets and spanning 20,000 years. And this gives Disney infinite inspiration and opportunities to continue the epic Star Wars saga. Fans can expect a new feature film, Star Wars Episode 7, in theaters worldwide in 2015. We here at the Clashing Sabres podcast, we take our jobs way too seriously. And because of that, (laughs) we have delved into every year of Disney Star Wars so we can figure out which year out of this decade, decade number one of the Disney era, is the best. And Drew, you are famous for your rules and parameters. (laughs) When it comes to making these lists or answering these in-depth, expansive questions that oh uh, we like to ask, like like what we're asking tonight. So uh, since I knew you would have these rules, I really wanted to figure out this little puzzle. Uh, I wanted to figure it out as by feel as possible, I guess you could say. Okay. And I failed miserably. Oh, no. Uh, There is so much great Star Wars content that trying to think about what the best year is without any boundaries was actually more daunting than having boundaries. So (laughs) I actually made some rules for myself. Okay. Hit me with your rules. Where where did you begin and and how did that help narrow down the field? Well, there's there's two main things. 
first, I only considered what I considered the significant releases. So comics, kids' books, uh, little one-off things, leveled readers, little uh, picture books and stuff. I didn't consider all of those um, just because it was way too much to to try to keep up with. And, And again, going to our former conversation, keeping the comics organized and being able to to challenge. provide them a fair rating, e- even though I hadn't read all of them, wasn't really wasn't really fair. And so, um, within that, I also counted series as a whole season and attributed their points to the year the first episode was mm-hmm. released. So there was some so crossover, <clears throat> um, and I did not count individual episodes unless they were. Uh, ground-shattering episodes like Twilight of the Apprentice or From the Desert Comes a Stranger. Um, episodes like that oh, interesting. that are, are okay. groundbreaking. Uh, not just really, really good, like groundbreaking. Um, <laughs> the, the second main rule that I had was my rating system. So okay. I used a five-point positive-negative scale. So each release... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Christ. I, I went hard, guys. Six hours on this. Six I'm hours. I'm impressed. Let's go. Let's go, each, baby. Each release could earn up to five positive points or down to five negative points if it was not good. Uh, and I had three categories that they could earn points in. Quality, impact on fandom, and personal impact. And to make it so that there, there wasn't a cop-out... I did not allow anything to be rated as zero in any category. It had to either have a positive influence or a negative influence. I took those and I totaled up the points and then I realized, well, this isn't really fair to the years that have, uh, you know, 30, 40 releases and the years that have five. There's a major uh, volume uh, imbalance in that approach. Yes. You you, you discover right about the time you hit mm, 2015. (laughs) Yes. And so what I did is I took the average uh, score and used that to to kind of be a quality rating for each year. And it did not, it did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. Interesting. Okay. Because All right. my gut when I was, was doing this was telling me 2018 was a really, really good year. It was solo. It was uh, all the stuff that came out around that. It was the end of Rebels. I was like, I feel like 2018 might be, uh, might oh, be the year. Oh, dear. Yeah. And uh, did the math bear that out? It, it most definitely did not. Because by a very slim margin, and by slim margin, I mean three hundredths of a point. Oh, my gosh. The best year of Disney Star Wars is unequivocally and undeniably 2016. What? All right. You're a crazy person who says crazy things, but okay. Yes, this is also true, but that's a different conversation. Wait, hold that thought, Drew. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. There were not a ton of releases in 2016. Nope. So it only got 69 points when you totaled it up. The nice. The one that it defeated... <laughs> butts, butts. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if somebody was going to make that joke when I typed up the notes. But here we oh, are. Oh. <laughs> yep. Somebody had to. So 2022, this, this year that we are still mm-hmm. in, earned 178 points. 
Okay, and what scale? This is just by sheer volume at this point? By sheer volume, yes. Okay. So when you average it out, 2016 has an average of 11.5, whereas 2022 has 11.47. So the best year of mm. Disney Star Wars is 2016. This the, I worked for my previous job. I had an attorney uh, who I respect as one of the most brilliant men I've ever met who had large sections of the tax code memorized because he ended up teaching it as an adjunct professor, which means he did it for fun in addition to his day job. And he had what I like to call the smell test. And I guess your, 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 your little thing here does not pass the smell test. It does not seem right at all. <laughs> I mean, I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. <laughs> you literally did make the rules. Yeah, I, I actually did. So, no. Okay, continue. Continue, because I'm I'm really curious to see what 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 is that kind of like your end conclusion? Is 2016 is the best year? Yes, because you were hitting on on every level. You had uh, Twilight of the Apprentice came out, which is it's the end of season two of Rebels, right? It is, and it's okay. possibly the best Star Wars animation full stop. The only thing I think you can really mm. compare with it is Siege of Mandalore. Um, mm -hmm. But this Twilight of the Apprentice, just yeah. it's so good. Uh, Book-wise, you had Bloodline come out. You had the Ahsoka novel. You had Empire's End, which despite the, the mess that Aftermath was, Empire's End is passable. Um, I thought that was 2017. No, 2016, July right. 12th. Uh, you had Rebel Season 3 came out, which mm -hmm. really, you know, things were hitting their stride there. And you had Rogue One. So Rogue One came out in 2016, which is, uh, it's, it was good. It was a good, good year. And, um, let's see, we had Twilight of the Apprentice had a perfect score and Rogue One had a perfect score. All right, uh, that's that's respectable at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the only sixteen also had the beginning of the Doctor Afra series. Yes, that was a pretty landmark entry in the comic realm. Yeah. So I mean, twenty twenty two definitely has more releases. I mean, <laughs> you're looking at yes, like I I have sixteen major releases versus six major releases. Um, between the TV shows and all of the High Republic. Uh, they got back into the, the one-off novels with Shadow of the Sith and Padawan and everything. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a, a great year for books. You had Brotherhood, you had Shadow of the Sith, Padawan, uh, end of Phase 1 of High Republic, beginning of mm -hmm. Phase 2 of High Republic, Kenobi, like, Andor, um... It was it was a really really this last year was was a close contender, um, yeah. but I, I I went with what the numbers bared out and the numbers bared out twenty sixteen. So if twenty sixteen is your mathematically highest achiever, is that your favorite year? Ooh, that is a good question. Cause let me because we'll get to mine in a couple minutes. We'll do Devor next, I think. But if you had to take twenty sixteen. And you burned every other year to the ground, and you never got to enjoy the rest of them. Is 2016 the year you would stick with, or would you want to trade that out for something else? Hmm. See, now that that's an interesting. Mm hmm. <clears throat> I think. Mm, man, you that's get tough. Rogue One, but you don't get anything else. <laughs> 
That's man. Oh, that's tough because, because you, you're pre Mandalorian. Yeah, point it's pre Mandalorian, and it was challenging because t- like Rogue One came out in December of 2016. So in January of of 2017, you got things like the Guardian of the Wills book. You got Catalyst. You got Rebel Rising, which I all really really enjoyed. Um, but that year, publishing wise, you also got three of my favorite books: Battlefront Two, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Phasma. Yep. yep. You got uh, Last Jedi, which yeah. Uh, if I could, ha- I mean, honestly, 2017 would have been a lot higher if I could have given Last Jedi a, a positive score. But because of the divisiveness of it. I actually gave it. Come on, really? No, I I I did because I don't think it had the it had a positive score overall. I should say it it scored eight points, but it was on quality. It was five on personal impact. It was five. I had to give it a negative two on impact on fandom just because of how divisive and and rough the conversations have been around that movie, which really it. It's upsetting to me to even have to say that, but I feel like, you know, I was trying to be as objective as possible in those first two categories, and mm. I feel like there was a major split at the end of 2017 in the fandom. So, 2016-2017 is is a real sweet spot. It's also when I was, you know, Force Awakens had gotten me back into uh into star wars and got me into listening to podcasts and stuff but 2017 was right around 2016 2017 we we kind of started hitting our stride here podcasting and everything so it was a real it was a real good time uh for me so i guess if i had to get rid of every year after i'd say 2017 interesting okay fair enough we'll we'll tear that apart more in a little bit i'm sure (laughs) All right. Well, then, Devor, I'm going to let you go and, and present us with any rules you had and tell us uh, what your opinion is on this and why you agree it's 2016. <laughs> All right. So these two gentlemen are talking about spreadsheets, points. <laughs> Me? Chicken bones and entrails? I went goblin mode on this one. <laughs> oh, man. I, I had wait. three criteria. They were okay. straightforward and simple. One was, much like Brandon's first one, which is, content what came out that year mm-hmm. and you know and the extent to which it was you know stand out or particularly remarkable or you know signaled some kind of shift in terms of star wars storytelling and whatnot second criteria vibes just oh, how did gosh. it feel as a star wars fan you know at the time looking back on it you know just that general category of vibes <laughs> third category it's a walking tiktok video this man <laughs> third category was What's an answer that might upset people? <laughs> Particularly Drew. So. Oh, I see. This is retribution for the Tales of the Jedi thrashing. Okay, a little bit. I get it. I get so, it. So, as I said, I went feral on this one. <laughs> and that was part of the motivation. But I think there was also a serious substantive case for my choice, as much as I'm saying that I just, just went off the chain here. And so that is why I'm going to make my case tonight on this episode that the best year of Disney Star Wars is and must consider to be 2019. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So Go for I think it. there's I think there's a couple there's a couple things to point out too. So I think in general if you if you want to put like a unifying thesis around the examples that I'm going to give is that 
I think 2019 is a year that, in a lot of important ways, Star Wars really swung for the fences. Mm-hmm. And I think really pushed itself in some interesting directions. Not all of them universally well-received. I will acknowledge that, as I will get to that when I'm talking about it. But I think that is also an important part of the growing process. But let me talk about some specific examples. So in the realm of books, you had a couple really great entries. You had Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice that mm-hmm. came out in 2019. You had the book that I will never shut up about when I'm asked about it. Yes, that is, of course, Zoraida Cordova's A Crash of Fate that came out in August. Go read A Crash of Fate. Everyone Sleeps on A Crash of Fate is a 9 out of 10 Star Wars book that no one reads and no one talks about. Go read it. (laughs) Except for two-thirds of us on this podcast who talk about it all the time. And also, crucially, another thing that came out this year that, again, fits within this theme that I'm talking about of 2019 as this kind of frontier-pushing year. It is also the release year of Dooku Jedi Lost, the first, at least, canon audio drama, which I do think represented a kind of new push into Star Wars storytelling, where, of course, we had had audiobooks for a long time, but this was something different. This was in a category of its own in terms of this thing that is much more of a kind of production as opposed to an audiobook where it is just, you know, one person reading the whole thing, even if they might be taking on other voices and so on. Here you had other people subbing in as characters that had a much more, uh, it, it had a much more of like, yeah, like you're listening to an audio version of some sort of actual production of something. And I think that kind of set the stage for the subgenre of audio dramas that we've gotten since then, whether that's Tempest Runner, whether that's Dr. Aphra, whether it's Battle mm-hmm. of Jeddah that we're getting in February. I think a lot of that was built on the back of the success of Dooku Jedi Lost. And, you know, just beyond, you know, talking about it as a sort of genre form of storytelling, it's a very good story. It's one that we learn a lot about in terms of Dooku and his backstory and his relationship to characters like a Sifo-Dyas, like a Yoda. It is, this is something I've not done yet, but I've wanted to for a while now, which is to revisit Dooku Jedi Lost in light of the start of the High Republic. Because it is, strictly speaking, a High Republic story. At least a good chunk of it is a High Republic story. Given the chronology of the High Republic as we presently understand it. So I'm just thinking, like, what would it be like to listen to it now, knowing the High Republic, even though there's still a good chunk of time between, you know, phase one time and the start of Dooku Jedi Lost? Does the High Republic's existence in any way influence the way that you consume and understand Dooku Jedi Lost? But yeah, so there's that. So that's sort of in the, in the book's <laughs> audio drama arena. Also in 2019, you get in the fall, I think it is October, November, you get the release of Jedi Fallen Order. Yep. So, and Jedi Fallen Order, I think, is, you know, when people talk about the sort of pantheon of content within Disney Star Wars, video games is one of, I think, generally considered to be one of the kind of weaker links, or at least one of the spottier links, just in terms of, like, the regularity of things coming out and things have gotten delayed, there have been projects announced that gotten scrapped, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But then Jedi Fallen Order comes out, and the thing about Jedi Fallen Order, I think looking back on it, and this actually connects to something we brought up at the beginning of the conversation and our kind of general opening discussion, is that I think in a lot of ways you could say that Jedi Fallen Order was, to Star Wars video games, what Charles Soule's Vader 2015 run was to the comics. Hmm. Which is to say that like it was one of these things that like kind of broke out of its little bubble. Because, like, you know, 
as Star Wars fans, particularly as like diehard Star Wars fans, you know, we kind of consume across diff- Star Wars across different media. We don't limit ourselves to let's just say the movies or something like that. But there are certain genres, like particularly I'm thinking of something like comics and video games, where like there are sort of more narrowly niche fandoms, like within the larger Star Wars fandom. But I think when Fallen Order came out, it was one of those things where it was like everybody was kind of paying attention to Fallen Order, or everybody kind of had to. It kind of broke out in the way, in the same way that I think the Vader run in 2015 did, where it was like, it was not just comics people who were reading and talking about it. It was like, oh no, everybody should check out this thing, that it is a particular example of excellence of that particular medium. And I think Fallen Order does that too. I think it was a kind of breakthrough moment for video games in the kind of canon Disney era that really hadn't quite much. I mean, the closest maybe like a Battlefront 2, but I don't mm-hmm. think the Battlefront 2 quite hits the heights in terms of, again, that kind of receptivity that Fallen Order does. And of course, now we see, again, the kind of the, the ripple effects of that. You know, we're getting a book that is based in this on these characters in the story. We're getting another sequel follow-up game. Yep. Um, there have been aspects of Fallen Order that have made into other media, chiefly, you know, with Fortress Inquisitorius and Obi-Wan Kenobi and all of that. So again, much like Dooku Jedi Lost, having these kind of ripple effects. So you get Fallen Order in 2019. Also in 2019, maybe, what, a month-ish, the same month as the release of Fallen Order, you have, of course, the start of Disney Plus and the release of The Mandalorian. And The Mandalorian, I think... Is, well, of course, you know, this is this was Star Wars pushing into in its own era because, you know, you, of course, it had things like, you know, the, the you had Star Wars TV in terms of the Clone Wars, you know, earlier back in the 80s, you know, the Ewoks cartoon stuff. But this, in, in terms of this niche of live action Star Wars TV, that this was pushing a new terrain. And I think the Mandalorian had to succeed the way it succeeded to build the foundation for other Star Wars Disney Plus projects, and I think even Disney Plus projects in general. Um, again, you know, to go to comparisons, I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of comparisons that you could draw between The Mandalorian, what it did for, let's say, Star Wars TV, and also for just the Disney Plus show as like a thing, that you can compare that to what, let's say, the first Iron Man did for the MCU. Mm-hmm. We actually just watched um, Iron Man yesterday at the time of this recording. And I think there's a lot of ways you can see those projects as kind of similar beyond the fact that they're, of course, both John Favreau productions. I, I think they have this kind of similar effect of setting up this this particular world in this universe and introducing you to this character. I mean, Din Djarin, of course, was a brand new character, never existed. Iron Man slash Tony Stark had existed. He had, he had been a known character, but not, of course... He was, you know, at best, a B-list superhero. And so both of these projects, you know, center these characters and they have to do this work of making you like these characters and get attached to them very quickly. And what they crucially also do is, I think in both cases, is they create this kind of escape velocity for this larger project. You know, I think in this day and age, you know, where IP is so big... Uh, you know, it is possible to kind of question the importance of, you know, firsts. You know, you can say, well, these things are all going to, you know, they can start off well, they can start off poorly, they're all going to make pots of money, aren't they? And I think 
That is true to an extent, and I think that's not true to an extent. I think if you look at an example of, let's say, the DCEU, like th- there, I think that is proof of concept in both directions. You can look on the one hand and say, okay, well, you know, some of these movies, you know, your, your Justice Leagues, your Black Adams, like they still make like a big chunk of money. Sure. But also it's like, if you look at, you know, the cultural impact of that versus, let's say, the cultural impact of an MCU, again, going to that idea of ripple effects, it's much smaller. It hasn't had that kind of, it doesn't have that kind of cachet. And I think a large part of that you could attribute is the fact that it doesn't get that initial escape velocity, the jump that, let's say, the MCU did. And I think that also the Mandalorian did for live action Star Wars TV and just more broadly, the Disney Plus TV show as a thing. I think that, you know, not only does the rest of Star Wars live action TV rest on the shoulders of the Mandalorian and what that did. I think even something like MCU Disney Plus TV rests on the success of that shoulders. Would we still have live action Star Wars TV if the Mandalorian had been bad or been, you know, poorly received? Mm. Probably, maybe. Would we have the MCU shows? Probably, maybe. Does it have the kind of big cultural resonance that it does have now? I don't think it does. So I think that setup was really important. And now at last we get to the 800-pound yeah. elephant in the room, yeah. which is in December, which is the release of The Rise of Skywalker. Now, one of the consequences of me being brought onto this team is that Lindsay is no longer alone in fighting oh, no. for her upheld battle for the love of The Rise of oh, Skywalker. Brandon, because we need I to have too, a separate chat. <laughs> I, too, am a fan. Does it have problems? Yes, it does. It has issues. It has issues like most Star Wars films have issues. However, I think there are a lot of things that I love about it. It is, it is pulpy, you know, it, it is pulpy in very fun ways, but it is also pulpy with heart. You know, you get great moments, you get your, we had each other, that's, that's how we won. You get, there are more of us. You get a great story about choice and destiny, which is such a big through line in the Star Wars franchise. You get something with the return of Palpatine, which again, I know is divisive, but it is something that both story-wise and thematically runs through the entire Skywalker saga, taking us back to some of the themes of... Um, of the prequels and Anakin's fall, and we get to tap into some of that stuff thematically, I think, which is interesting. And again, going in terms of the the larger thesis here about Star Wars swinging for the fences, what has the knock always been on J.J. Abrams? There's been two knocks on him. One is he's derivative. That's what you hear. Like, Cloverfield is Godzilla. Super 8 is E.T. Force Awakens is a new hope. Second critique is... He's a people pleaser, you know, he just like he, he just he, he, he does the, he does the thing that, you know, gets the applause and he plays it safe. Neither of those can you say about the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> right? It, it is its own unique story. And it is one that, again, was it, it had its divisions at the time. It still is divisively received with various choice stories, whether around the decisions around Ray around. Again, I mentioned the return of Palpatine, the stuff with Kylo and Ben, et cetera, et cetera. But again, I think those kind of th- those kind of swings are necessary, and I think that kind of risk taking the, divis- the divisiveness that results from I think is is a feature, not a bug. Which is that like this is the thing about like pop culture, and when we talk about like the thing we don't like to talk about when we talk about like risk taking, when people take risks and so on in terms of creatives, is that we tend to praise risk taking when we like it, and we tend to kind of downplay it when we don't like the risk that has been taken. You know, 
So That's like the, the, these things, you know, you need those kind of projects that will do those sort of things. Like I think about, you know, again, to make the MCU comparison or draw something, you know, you get something like a She-Hulk where it's like a lot of people liked it, but then other people are like, well, this particular form, this particular story, whatever, it's like, you know, uh, you know, when you do these things that kind of push the boundaries or go in other directions, it's necessarily the case it's going to be a little bit divisively received or like, you know, some people are going to like it and it's not going to rub other people well. And like some of that is just like you kind of take your lumps as a creative and you just kind of have to deal with that. It's sort of it's part <laughs> of the price you have to pay. Because, again, like what's the thing when again, you know. To, to bring back the MCU example, like what's the critique where so many people are like, oh, it's formulaic. There's the same kind of storytelling. And then you get something that's, again, pushing those boundaries. And people are like, well, why are you doing this? And so, yeah, like some of that is built in. So that's, so that's part of my thesis for 2019 is that like it's Star Wars. It's always pushing in these new directions. It, it, it's taking these swings. It's taking these chances, taking some risks. And just to get back to like the vibes, the second criteria, like that was a like 2019 was a big year in terms of me getting more into podcasting. And, you know, there was so much excitement and buildup, you know, in the run up to the rise of Skywalker, people were doing like, you know, rewatches of Skywalker saga and kind of talking through it on podcasts and stuff. So like as a, as a fan and as like a kind of stepping stone in terms of getting into into podcasting the fandom 2019 was also important for me in that way so that's why i get to like the secretary the vibes so yeah for all those reasons my pick is 2019 wow it's 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 a good argument um i'm not <laughs> gonna a lie lot there <laughs> there is a lot there and i i think you you might have mentioned this but galaxy's edge also opened in 2019 yep. sure did. so yeah that that's big on two fronts one because you know, it's something that's never been done before, but mm -hmm. you got books like Crash of Fate and Black Spire around it that were books around things that were not movies, which we didn't really have a lot. Like, everything was attached to movies or shows that we had, not like these locations or, mm -hmm. you know, I think this even leads to us getting more books around video games, you know, um, and kind of having a release around releases around an idea or a theme kind of started this year because you had master and apprentice and dooku jedi lost come out and that was kind of you know in the same way they had padawan and obi-wan kenobi coming out this year so and then even uh, resistance reborn i think was was pushing boundaries because it kind of took all of the characters that had been created in the canon up to then kind of like smushed them all together in a way um, that people yeah, had been asking sort of. for that you know people complain a lot about the new canon that oh it's also disconnected it doesn't tell a unified story like Legends did and so on and so forth and Resistance Reborn was like alright cool let's do that and sure it got mixed reviews but if we're looking at pushing the boundaries as one of the criteria I definitely think that it, that, that qualifies so I, I like know. it yeah, I, th I think I'm going to agree with you, Devor, on 75% of <laughs> your points. I think 2019 is the landmark year of the past 10. Like, it is the most important year, if for no other reason than for Disney Plus being a thing. Mm -hmm. Without that, none of the rest of the years are allowed to sail as high as they do. And I looked at the list for 2019. I stared at my list for 2019 and the year I'm going to go with and just back and forth for days just going, mm. I don't know what to do about Rise of Skywalker. Because <laughs> um, that movie, wow. 
there's there's a lot of feelings about that movie. Um, and even when you were talking about the books, you missed the most important ones. Let's be honest. You missed Queen's Shadow, and you missed Alphabet Squadron. And I'm not sure I can forgive you for those. To, 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 <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. Gigantic overlooks. It's really offensive. 2019 also had the second season of Resistance, mm-hmm. which did anybody here watch? Yeah, I watched it. Did you? N- not at the time, subsequently. Ha- okay, have you? Okay. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I, I, I do think 2019, because of Disney Plus and Mandalorian Season 1, is kind of where the left turn occurred. And where we were like, okay, this is the new direction and this is what's going to work. But it is not my favorite year All right. of the past 10. And listen, there's not a whole lot of math that can go into supporting my year. Um, unfortunately it's going to be a lot more divorce style of like if i was going <laughs> to wow every year to the ground if we were going to sacrifice nine years and i only get to keep one year it would be 2021 i knew that's where he was going to do i knew yep. it i knew it <laughs> and when you look at what released this is the year of the drew um book of boba fett visions we we're not going to talk about bad batch came out this year that's not important uh you shut your face sir It's just not for me. Um, Visions. How can you go wrong? Ronin, the best novel of the past (laughs) 10 years. Uh, Bar none whatsoever. It is the best written thing in the past 10 years that has the Star Wars logo on the front of it. Victory's Price, wrapping up Alphabet Squadron. The best trilogy we've gotten out of the past 10 years. Um, 100% it is the best one. It is the most consistently good. Uh, you've got a couple Thrawn books in there, which isn't really that important. You had the Essential Legends con- uh, kicked off. The Essential Legends novels reissue began, bringing back uh, the Thrawn trilogy for the first time in a while. That was pretty important. But High Republic Phase 1 kicks off, and you cannot argue with how good Phase 1 was. Um, Brandon, you started off the conversation with like your most... like You were talking about the episodes or entries that might have made the biggest difference like your top shelf kind of thing, like your Twilights of the Apprentice and whatnot. I didn't think I could break that, that down within the, within the High Republic. I was willing to break it down between Phase 1 kicks off and Phase 1 ends, and Phase 2 begins, but Phase 1 ending occurs in 22, and honestly, the kickoff was stronger than the ending. Um, Light of the Jedi is probably going to be the, the first book you have to read if you're going to be a new Star Wars fan and you're going to get interested in what this kind of expanded universe nonsense looks like, you're going to have to start with Light of the Jedi. Uh, there's really nowhere else to go. It's the most important book to start with because it'll, it'll, the way you come out of that book, regardless of how you come out, whatever way you come out will direct whichever way you want to go. So that is kind of the intersection. If you love it, there's more. If you, there's some, if you need something different, there's more. But that Light of the Jedi is going to be the, the litmus test against how you want to actually enjoy your Star Wars. So 2019 is important, and it's really hard to argue that. But Resistance Reborn wasn't that great. I don't really know who was clamoring for the Aura Marco returns. I mean, I like Carlos Reichen as much as the next Battle of Hoth fan, but not even I was terribly excited about that. It does have Hero of the Rebellion Wedge Antilles returning, so that's great. But I, Crash of Fate is not on my list to read. Black Spire is not on my list to read. Myths and Fables, I tried. It did not work. Uh, Force Collector was good. Force Collector is fun. Dooku Jedi Lost, I tried listening to the audio uh, drama. What are we calling it? An audio play? Um, 
I couldn't do it. It's not for me. Maybe if I read it, that'd be one thing, but that's not for me. So 2021 is definitely going to be the year that I have to save from the fire. Um, it's definitely where I'm going to go back if I, if I need to be entertained. If I'm like, gee, I just need something for fun and something to pick me up. Um, that's, the, that's the year I'm going to go to every time. It's just interesting hard. because <laughs> I wanted it to be 2022. I really wanted it to be 2022. But well, there's a lot of things in 22 that I was like, no, this is not good. This is not for me at all. And there are bad things that happened this year. I find it really interesting that like you have 2020 in the middle of y'all's conversation. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, 2019 sets up, you know, Disney Plus streaming and everything like that, which I think became a bigger deal with lockdowns and COVID and everything mm-hmm. and, yeah. and needing that to be an avenue and 21 and 22 is where we saw the result of that happening. Yes. Like I, I think things like Kenobi and, and even Andor, you know, are what they are because of this sounds kind of weird, but because of the limits that got put on them of, you know, who could be together and filming and everything like that, that kind of has, is we're still feeling the effects of. And in a weird way, star Wars is best when limits are put on it and it's got obstacles to overcome in order to tell the well, story it wants to. Maybe. I mean, you look it, at things it's like the a, focus. It's, it's the, the laser focus that really, the problem with 2019 is that 2019 was the big year where all like the 12 different projects got announced at one time and then only half of them are real. So it's the setup and failure to follow through that hurts that. Like they saw the, how well man, I guess maybe, maybe it was in 22 actually or in 2020 um, because when Disney plus starts and they see how good Mandalorian season one did, that's when they started announcing like Rangers of the new Republic and the Ahsoka show and droids, a Star Wars story. Does anybody remember that? Um, <laughs> the Lando Chronicles. Uh, what are some, like, a handful of these things that changed and morphed. And, you know, Rogue Squadron had like a whole minute and a half video with Patty Jenkins rollerblading down at an airstrip. And then where's that today? <laughs> Apparently still in production. (laughs) They're having conversations about starting it. It's like, okay, sure, I have conversations about starting all kinds of things. I have a hundred different Google Draft files about things that are never going to see the light of day, too. So I I can't do that, man. It's that 2019 has a lot of pluses, but it has so many cuts against it too. At the same time, that's why I couldn't go with it as as my favorite year of them all. Although 2019, that's when Clash of Sabers officially incorporated as a nonprofit, willing to put take books and send them across the country. So we got you got that going for it too. We do have that going for it. I mean, I think that wins the whole thing. I think that's just exactly not going to lie. It tipped. It did start to tip the scales there towards the end. I was getting a little bit nervous that 2019 was going to be the best. But I was like, oh, but visions and Book of Boba Fett. It's so much fun. Things blow up. He rides a rancor through downtown. (laughs) How can you not enjoy that? What is wrong with people? No, I I don't know. 22. I want to talk about 22 because I. I'm probably the, one of I'm the one third of the triangle here that didn't didn't enjoy Kenobi. I know. I if Kenobi had been a better show, that could be the year to beat. 
But there's I a lot think, of problems in 22. I think 22 is a great year. I mean, yeah, it I agree. really is. You, season two, or a uh, uh, Book of Boba Fett, uh, from the Desert Comes a Stranger comes out that year. Yeah. Um, Queen's Hope. Oh, that was Hope. amazing, wasn't oh, it? Oh, dude. Like, and especially for me, like, Ahsoka and Luke on screen together was something I'd been dying for for ages, and you gave mm. me that. And then also, like, Cad Bane and, and yeah, live action and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think All- 2020, or excuse me, 2022 might be the strongest year on the publishing side of things because I think that hmm. the the High Republic was in full stride. I I, yeah. I agree with you, Drew, that like Light of the Jedi is kind of the be-all, end-all when it comes to High Republic as it stands right now, but we got a lot of really great content there. We got four amazing books in Brotherhood, Shadow of the Sith, Padawan, Princess, and the Scoundrel. Like, just mm-hmm. these standalone books that of people love the queen queen's hope disrespect i'm not allowing this (laughs) no hold on i i hadn't gotten there before i did um and so and then you had you know queen's hope which i was going to mention finalizes that trilogy that was was one that a lot of people didn't expect uh you know those of us on this podcast included to be as big of a deal Mm -hmm. um as it was and even I'm gonna say it, Tales of the Jedi, freaking awesome. Um, yep, I it agree. Was with a big you, deal. Brandon. Nope, nope, zero. <laughs> went back, reread all my notes, checked all my arguments. No changes, no regrets. It's see, not here's good. here's what you I'm gonna be interested to see. It. I'm gonna be interested to see because on this list of 2022 books is Quest for the Hidden City, uh, which is a High Republic True. Junior junior novel which i haven't gotten to yet so i didn't i wasn't able to give it any points in any direction so i didn't count it towards the average either but with how close my scores were i i'm excited to read that um and even finish convergence and it could turn out that 2022 is is the best year i definitely think it's the best year for publishing uh really bar none. I think 2019 has an oh. argument in terms of ancillary content, but publishing wise, it books I'm going to revisit, it's it's in a single year it's hard to beat 2022. There's more sprinkled through, you know, 2016, 2017, you know, you've got Dark Disciples and you've got Catalyst and Bloodline and all of those things, but they're not all in one fair swoop like we got uh this year Hmm, i don't know i think if we're talking about just like the written word i think 19 has that one like but then again i'm 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 a detractor of of shadow of the sith a little bit um i haven't even opened pat brotherhood yet or and i haven't read the other two you were mentioning i it's on it's on the shelf all right take a deep breath (laughs) i think honestly 2019 lost a lot for me by having Thrawn Treason, which is just an absolutely (laughs) terrible book. Like, it's just so bad. Really? Is that bad? It it is irredeemably bad. Like, wow. It, there's like alliances. I can at least say, all right, you know, there's some cool, you know, parallels and stuff or whatever. It's not a book for me. I don't really care about it, but you know, it's fine. It's there. 
Thrawn's treason was like it was Ronin level bad. Listen, <laughs> that was on purpose. It, it really mean, was. It really was mean spirited, and you should apologize. <laughs> I should, but I won't. So oh. here we are. Uh, I haven't read any of those Thrawn books at all. Yeah, now you've I've only read the first one. Really, the first yeah. one is great. After that, yeah. it just. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I wonder if they have like a trilogy pack of those I could find somewhere. Because I'd be interested to try those. Because I really liked, well, I don't know. I really liked the, the original, like the 90s Thrawn trilogy. There's a Thrawn duology that came out, like what, 97, 98? It wasn't super hot. But when Simothy Zahn started doing like Choices of One was good. Outbound Flight is amazing. Yeah, that one's really good. And there's good. a couple other ones that are Thrawn adjacent. What's the one? What's the one he's like chasing down Nuso Ezra or whatever his name is? That's an early, like 2014, 15, somewhere in there. No, it was not good either. Boy, it's the, not even on my list. The The problem with the, the subsequent Thrawn releases is they just all became essentially the same thing just regurgitated that's and then what I was, yeah that's what i keep hearing yeah and then you get into the uh, the ascendancy trilogy i think is what they call it mm-hmm. and unless you are timothy zahn there's just too much to be able to keep up with unless you like actually created this whole world that exists and it's just not mm. it if you want to be into that it's fine it works but i just don't think it's star wars like it's intentionally told outside of the galaxy um it starts outside of a galaxy far far away it's this completely different culture that works in ways that are extremely different from anything else we have any ground like there's no grounding in star wars for those um other than thrawn exists and so that makes it really challenging to to get into them and keep up with everything and and it's just this whole it's this whole like expansive uh, world that he created, which is great. Like more power to him. You know, he loves the character. I have no problem with it existing, um, but it just doesn't. It doesn't hit the Star Wars buttons. Hmm. Okay. Do you guys have a a least favorite year or lowest scored year that you want to dunk on for just a minute? Ooh. Um. This is going to hurt a little bit, but uh, 2013 is in the running there. I wondered, like, the early years, how much that yeah. really counts, you know? Yeah, I mean, I say that just because, you know, you end of the Clone Wars and shutting down uh, Lucas Arts. Yeah, you know, a lot of losses there. That was a hit there. Um Crucible was the last Legends novel released in the timeline, and it's, it's really bad. Is it? <laughs> it's not, okay. It's it's old man Han Solo, 75 years old, and he's still like leaping from balconies and things. I'm like, bud, he needs to be in a wheelchair. Come on. Yikes. Um, it did have the Kenobi novel, which is good. Yeah, I was surprised as I was going through this list because, you know, I was out of Star Wars fandom for uh, a a long time and well and i'd never really been as in-depth as as i was post uh force awakens or in that lead up to force awakens post disney purchase and um you know books like kenobi plagueis those kind of things i didn't Mm -hmm. realize it it never clicked to me that they came out like right around the disney purchase or right after the disney purchase 
yeah. um, there, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, a lot of those were still in, like in production. In production and everything. Yeah, it, during the time of, of the purchase. So they kept a lot of projects. They also canceled a lot of projects, too, which is sad. This is why we are unfortunately stuck with Heir to the Jedi in the canon category. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's... Well, yeah. Shadows of Mindor, I think, still counts as, as canon. No, no, it doesn't. Oh, really? Oh, good. It's Legends. Good. Yeah, it has good. a Legends banner on it. Man, that one was rough. I mean... Shadows Spawn, not Shadows Pawn. Come on. 2020 was a rough year uh um, now, now come on this i was gonna ask you about how is that not your favorite year it's see the highs are really high and the lows are really low well like what do you like what do you have for the lows because there's not a uh, i was looking at, at the entries that i was looking at did not see things nearly as low as as other years uh books like queen's peril was a letdown there um, Thrawn Ascendancy was a huge letdown. The major uh, video game release of Star Wars Squadrons, Squadrons. like mm. nobody talks about. Um, I think they yeah. were giving it away for free the other day on some streaming service. <laughs> so like, it it's was, fun. and I and I think also you know that goes to what you were talking about earlier, Drew, of things starting to get canceled. Like I think we got stuff announced in 2019 that started getting shut down and canceled yeah. or just okay. kind of not talked about anymore in 2020. So, you know, again, you have season seven of the clone wars, which is, you know, I still thought that mind would win it for, I, I thought it, that would do it, but see, like, here's the thing. So there, there's certain times like that where the animation was like it was hitting on all cylinders. You go back to uh, season four of Rebels in 2018, and you have Doom, Jedi Knight, World Between Worlds, Wolves in a Door. Like all of those hit at the same. Like that got 60 points right there. All four of those got perfect scores on on my rating scale. But you know, I was trying to treat everything equally and as objectively as possible. You know, I do have the personal impact category, but I was trying to not be biased of I love animation. And so I'm going to only pick something that is is an animation year. And mm. when you look at the breadth of things, I think 2020 just I mean, you've, you've also got books like Poe Dameron Freefall, which is not good. Um, oh, interesting. So there's just a lot of things that detracted from it, uh, or not even detracted from it, just stopped it from earning as many points as it possibly could. You know, you you got victory and death is is perfect. Um, Mandalorian <laughs> season two so uh, got a perfect score, yep. and uh, even the the Disney Gallery, the making of season two. Um, even though it wasn't as good as the making of season one, because it was just a one-off one instead of a, a episode by episode thing or however they did it with the uh, season one, got a great score. But just the the average was was really low on that. Hmm. Jedi Temple Challenge being debuting on YouTube didn't put it over the edge for you that year. <laughs> it did. It did not. Does actually. Anybody remember that show for ten episodes? Uh, I. I I sure didn't. <laughs> I know. I I actually wanted to watch that and then just like forgot that it existed until mm -hmm. it gets brought up and then you're like, oh yeah. Um, so yeah, 2020 was was a rough year. Um, 
Devor, do you have any 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 low lights to? I think this year, like the the reason I think this one falls more of a, as a low light is much more leaning on the vibes of the year as opposed to like some of the things that actually happened in there or like the quality of the content that came out in that year. But like for me, 18 does rank kind of low yeah, because you have that one, two punch of one last Jedi backlash and the way that that gets received and that the kind of like, you know, category five hurricane that that was through the fandom. And then also you have the second punch of solo, which is like, which is like, again, this gets to the content, which is like solo in itself you know, a lot of people like it. It's a good movie, but everything around it from the like weak advertising of it to slotting it in May and, you know, having it compete with Infinity War and other Disney releases. And, you know, again, it having to deal with some of the reverberation, it being to some degree a casualty of Last Jedi backlash. Mm-hmm. It was like we, we, we had hit this point because you were bringing up, Drew, that point about like the early years of Disney Star Wars. Like in some ways, like mentally, this exercise for me started in 2015 for all intents and purposes. Right. And it was Same. like it was like, you know, you had, you know, you had 15, 16 and 17 where you had this kind of ascendancy where it was like, and, you know, this gets to, you know, Brandon's pick a little bit about 16, like a big part. I think why 16 is a strong year is because it was in that afterglow of Force Awakens, Star Wars is back, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And you had that kind of upward mobility. And then you get to end of 17 and 18 and it's like. It just hits a wall. And that's where you started getting a lot of questions about, are we getting too much Star Wars? Um, How good is this stuff really, et cetera, et cetera. And you you have that kind of more critical, cynical turn about the Disney project. Hmm. Even though, as Brandon pointed out, there's some really good stuff in 18 with the start of season four Rebels and all that. So then here's my question. You know, mm-hmm. if we say that 18 is where it hit a wall, do you mm-hmm. think 22 is where it tore down the wall? Ooh. Uh, I think we're mixing poetic metaphors at this point. I'm not really sure. Um, because, again, like, Devore, I know yeah. you liked the books that came out a lot more than than Drew in this mm-hmm. regard. Um, but you got things like Kenobi, you got things like Andor, you got, uh, the ending of Book of Boba Fett. Like they really started to do, I think a lot of, um, they didn't play it safe per se, but I feel like they kind of got their stride in. This is, is what we're doing in each genre, in each arena. Hmm. I think 22 is a very safe year with the exception of Andor. Like, I think looking at just, like, kind of, like, the major entries there of, like, Kenobi, Tales of the Jedi, High Republic, you know, Queen's Hope, Brotherhood, Stories of Jedi, Sith, Shadow of the Sith. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, revisiting some roots and trying to trying to glean more from what you've already harvested. And, it, and that's kind of, like, my major grudge against Kenobi is that I don't really know that looking at element by element, there's anything new introduced. We could, you know, we tagged all the important and interesting things that happened in that show happened in some other form and fashion years before. So what was it that made this a story worth telling that was new and interesting? You know, Andor went in a wildly different direction from anything we've kind of seen in the past. And so that was that made it, you know, maybe it's the shiny new toy. uh, But 22 feels like a lot of like, all right, 
it, it feels like. Because in 22, most of the stuff that we get probably began its development and production in 2020. So it's probably mm-hmm. suffering the effects of all the different man- yeah. lockdowns and mandates. And, the, and it really had right. to change the way it happened. And so in order to adapt to that, other risks had to be mitigated. And so we're taking a safer approach because we just don't know what life is going to look like at that point anymore. So, I mean, even like, like think about like Celebration Anaheim that we went to. Like how different that was compared to previous celebrations. Of course, not having been to any previous ones, I have no firsthand experience. But the the challenge of having it delayed two full years, and then like at what felt the last minute, having the date pushed up two months, like just the disruption that was caused was really really hard to handle. And I wonder, like some of that is like splash damage on this year. It's like everything else was pretty bad. Um, surrounding, you know, outside of the Star Wars world, and it kind of like not crept in, but it certainly you could feel it on the edges there. At least I did. Yeah, I think that's fair. Devor, where do you stand on that? <sighs> yeah, I mean, to your question about w- when does that wall, you know, come down or so much? I mean, n- not to you know build a case for the year I chose, but I think in some ways, in some ways that we, that that wall starts coming down. I would say with the release of the Mandalorian. Yeah, I, 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 would I think agree. I, there is a large swath of just in, in the category of let's say like what we would call casual Star Wars fans. There's a lot of people in that population who you would like, like you could talk to and say like, no, I didn't really like the movies, but I really like the Mandalorian and I like Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the people. True, are that's in that a camp. really good point. Yeah. Well, and I think I, a lot of people bought back into Star Wars with The Mandalorian, a lot, particularly a lot of casual viewers. And a lot of new fans came in uh, through Mandalorian, people who had never been interested in Star Wars before, you know, heard the hype about it and gave it a mm-hmm. shot. And yeah. and some of them became what, what we would consider more casual fans. And some of them, you know, like uh, like my friend Amanda became very hardcore, read everything, do everything fans obsessed with it you know because of mandalorian so yeah like there's definitely a you know there's there's the the in-universe uh you know bby uh before battle of yavin after battle of yavin kind of scale (laughs) there's like there's a before mandalorian after mandalorian uh Uh, that's absolutely i think that is a hundred percent where that delineation is because mm-hmm. even for like just for the sheer fact that now you had all nine movies in one singular streaming source you could watch them anytime you want anywhere in the world like that was not a thing we had at previous points i mean it took years for us to get the the entire saga on a blu-ray collection for crying out loud <laughs> so having it just on the streaming service where i mean when was when was netflix started when was netflix created 1997 Netflix started as a DVD by mail program, and that was kind of like our first instant access to movies we hadn't seen. So if you were one of the few people who hadn't bought a copy of the, the VHS special edition, which came out that same year, I mean, maybe that was a way to do something. You wouldn't even get a DVD of the original Star Wars movie until, what, 2004, I think, is when that was yeah. first released? The silver box with the four discs and the bonus, bonus trilogy material disc. I forget what it's called now. So I like I think it is, it, it's is, on is my my desk right here. It's called bonus materials. There so you go. You nailed it. I could see it in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. It's just in a in a box and in, in my attic. <laughs> <laughs> no, like Mandalorian. It's gotta be 19. Yeah, yeah. Mandalorian really just 
change interesting things. How, it's interesting how 18 is definitely the hardest year, and the 19 is when it really turned around. I like yeah. that they're back-to-back like that. Um, 18 was also the second season of Forces of Destiny. Shouldn't uh, fail to mention that. No. But yep. it's also the year of Resistance Season 1. So, win some, lose some. Yeah, and I think, if anything, this list really showed that, you know, and this seems like an obvious statement to make, but I think it's something we lose sight of, that there's going to be some very high highs and some very low lows and a bunch of in-betweens. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's going to be a wave of things. And, you know, I, shoot, if you think about, let, take the, you know, after the original trilogy comes out, look at, you know, even after A New Hope comes out, you know, messing around with Star Wars, you got like the holiday special. You got Ewoks <laughs> and droids. And you got, you got a lot of splinters, the mind's eye. You got a lot of stuff. That, you know, when George Lucas was still figuring out, you know, and Star Wars and, and what it was was still developing are not, you know, the the best entries into into, you know, Star Wars, the Ewok movies, things like that. Like mm-hmm. there's there's certainly people that love them. And, and I honestly haven't watched them. So I have, you know, no comment either direction um, because I'm terrified to. But, <laughs> you know, like we, I think we lose sight of the fact that, you know, it, it took time for Lucas to develop what Star Wars was going to be. Uh, he, you know, he didn't have the, the Star Wars Bible just sitting on his desk to start with. And Disney wanting to take it in this new direction. Um, and, and by new direction, I don't even mean like telling a different kind of story. I just mean telling a diverse range of stories in a diverse range of mediums is... You know, we we had video games, we had books, but we never had it on this scale before. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes time to figure that out. And if anything, having three shows, you know, Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, and Andor all come out like back to back that really honestly couldn't be more different from each other. Um, You know, you have the volume connection between Kenobi and Book of Boba Fett, but they're very, very different uh, shows and and they utilize the volume in very different ways. To me, that's a sign that you know twenty three is going to be a really really great year uh, because they are they're able to now do all these different things and I feel like they are, they're kind of hitting their stride in terms of what they want to do in each medium you know uh, for for the time being the publishing is going to be high republic and then in between high republic there's going to be some one-off novels and you're going to get all kinds of different in uh, uh animated series and live action series on mm-hmm. on tv and that's going to be where the focus is uh with video games i think they're going to stick with with things that are, are proven commodities because, uh, you know, a lot of time and energy goes into those and they want to make sure they, they make their money back on on those things. So that's why we're getting things like um, Fallen Order 2, uh, Jedi Survivor. Uh, so Vision Season 2 coming in spring yeah. of 2023. Vision Season 2. Like, I think a lot of the things that they were trying in, you know, 2021, 22 are now they kind of know what they want to do and they're leaning into that direction. They're not trying to, you know, as they were doing earlier, just like throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. I think they know uh, more so how they want to, I guess, run the brand 
and uh, they're going to lean into that here into this next decade. Mm-hmm. So it'll nice. be exciting, exciting to see. But uh, I'll be I'll be really interested to to revisit this at some point and see if anything is able to to top uh, Mandalorian in terms of impact because man, that would be a game changer. Wow, um, yeah. it's hard to imagine something that would come out that that strong. Yeah, like even even Lucasfilm was like, yeah, even we didn't expect it to be this big of a deal. Yeah. Like the demand yeah, for it. Like, um, there's a, there's a way in which, like, Mandalorian is, like, one of those things that, like, and, you know, there are other examples of this, I think, in pop culture in recent years and so on. It's, like, one of those things that's, like, that falls into the category of, like, because it happened, it can't ever happen again. Mm. Yeah. In the same way that, like, for example, The Phantom Menace will never happen again. Ever. <laughs> like, and I'm not talking about, like, the movie itself, but in terms of everything around it will never happen again. Yeah. Hmm. Force and, Awakens, and I think it, same thing. Yeah, and in large part, the reason it won't happen again is because it already happened. And I think Mando's in that category of, like, because there was a show that did the things that it did, that you had, you know... I mean, I think, like, particularly, again, for us, like, you know, deep Star Wars fans, there's a certain... We, we've gotten to a certain point of, like, there's a certain, a certain amount of, like, cynicism and eye roll, particularly around, like, the character of Grogu. But, like, you go back to the end of 2019, 2020... Like that character punctuated main pop culture in a way that a, a character from Star Wars hadn't done maybe since Star Wars had come out. Like that wow. was yeah. wild. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was, the next hmm. closest in terms of chronology, maybe Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, but that was in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the kind of saturation that Grogu got that everybody knew who he was and it was unparalleled at least in the last tw- decades of star wars i mean i think you're right i think you gotta go back to like r2 and 3po yeah as probably that image kind of that character representation be like this is new and different yeah it's grogu is you know one of those characters where you don't even have to see star wars and you know exactly who it is yes you, right. know. you may not know what it means to say the words baby and Yoda together in that particular formation, yeah. but you can at least associate them with the character. Yeah. It, it made a huge impact. It made a huge impact. So it's wild. We're getting Mandalorian season three. We're getting Ahsoka. Yep. We're getting a lot of good stuff in 2023. <laughs> and uh, I'm here for it. It'll be a fun, fun conversation. And we will be here covering it all for you on the Clashing Sabers podcast. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us tonight make sure you're following us over on uh, twitter and instagram and tiktok at clashing sabers and that you're over in our facebook group that is becoming more and more active over there at star wars clashing sabers on facebook so uh (laughs) also make sure you are subscribed so you get all of the shows including devore's a larger view of the force which is now going to be available in the clashing sabers feed so devore if they want to find you and hear more uh, about what you're doing and follow you where can they do that yeah so as brandon mentioned future episodes of a larger view of the force will simulcast here and also on the, <laughs> on the regular larger view of the force feed so you can go subscribe over there as well if you want to check out the kind of back catalog of episodes and then you can also follow the show on twitter at a larger view pod and Drew, if they want to uh, hear about your ranking of Taylor Swift albums and participate in Visions Man. Ben's Days. <laughs> Thank you. Where I can they do that? 
the support. Uh, Twitter at the Drew Brett. So long as Twitter works, that's probably where we'll f- find that. Man, I listened back to the de- her debut album, and I don't know that I've actually listened to that album all the way through before because there's stuff in there. I was like, I don't remember hearing this because this is really good. But man, it's going to be hard to beat uh, um, Fearless. That album. Oh God, yeah, it's, so it's good. a good one. Yeah. It's, just perfect it's so good and speak now is so much fun so i'm in i'm 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 reviewing speak now in the moment and then man it's it's red 1989 and then reputation and it's going to be a wild thing to see how well that holds up because i i really like reputation in hindsight but we'll have to see but i'm thinking right now it's probably going to be fearless folklore reputation 1989 speak now are my top five okay don't hold me to that but that's where i'm leaning right now look because when you're 15 and somebody tells you they love you you're gonna believe them you are you yeah. are correct man that hits so, deep man i haven't been 15 in 20 years <laughs> you know what i still uh, feel that man you walk into the first day oh man try and stay out of everybody's way she knew you, what she was talking about you know what she needs to write a song about? What does she need to write a song about? Batch 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I walked into that. You really did. I really walked into that. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. No, but seriously. Like, <laughs> it's so good. She's so... I get into this fight all the time. She is, hands down, the most important musical artist since the Beatles. Like... I don't disagree. Correct. Yeah. Nothing I, in between... I so said to my family when maybe when Fearless came out, maybe Speak Now, but early early albums when she was still considered country, I said Taylor Swift is going to be bigger than Garth Brooks, which is when you're talking Tough. just about Tough. when you're talking just about like from, you know, starting thinking she was going to stay in country music, they all laughed at me. Tell me now that Taylor Swift is not musically more impactful than Garth Brooks. And I am a Garth yeah. Brooks fan. I I honestly really? I love Garth Brooks. Interesting. And, all right. And the Thunder Rolls. Like I honestly that's all I, that's all I know. I know this is gonna be blasphemy to say on the, on this podcast with you guys. I like Garth Brooks more than I like Taylor Swift. Get out. I know. But Get it but at the Out. same time, you cannot say she has not had a bigger cultural impact. Oh yeah, uh, well, uh, mm. hmm, that's tough to that's tough to dispute. I, the only expertise I have in the Garth Brooks world is what the two part documentary that was on Netflix I watched a couple of years ago. This is the best that information that I've got, but hmm, hard to say. See, I am a huge Dave Matthews Band fan, um, number one band of all time. And Fearless came out the same year that their album, uh, Big Whiskey and the Groove Rex King, came out. And they both were nominated for Album of the Year. And I was like, oh, Dave Matthews got this hands down. It's so good. Who is this girl, this country girl? Unimportant. This is, this is ridiculous. And when she won Best Album, I was like, this is absurd. I don't understand. How can this be? I have to listen and figure out what it is. And guys, it's better. <laughs> I was floored at how quickly I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. Except for Midnight, it's not that good. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. It's not. What are we going to do about this, guys? 
We're just going to wait for her next release to come out. I don't know how you go from like folklore and evermore into that. I think it's Jack Antonoff's fault, honestly. Like, put down the synthesizers. Just let her sing again. So good. Lake Pond editions that are on Disney Plus now, where it's like literally just three people playing instruments. Oh my gosh, it's so good. All right, guys. Is anyone still listening at this point? Nobody's still listening. If, if you're li- if you're still here at this moment, you have to let us know on the, on the Facebook group or something. You can let me know that and how much you disagree with my Tales of the Jedi take. Because again, I'm here to defend all day long. I have no problem defending it. Drew will start a fight about anything. I did evidently started a fight. There were some uh, strong opinions on the Facebook. There really were. There really were. I was okay with that. It was great. You started some things. I can't help it being right all this time. I know. It's really challenging. (laughs) I know. Well, you go get some rest. We're going to call it a night. And we will see everybody next time on the Clashing Sabers podcast. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?